Anyway, I must start off by welcoming everyone online, and of course, I want to pay my own personal tribute to the Queen's life, because for everyone here, I guess, or most of us here, we have only ever experienced the Queen being part of our lives, and the monarch, and what a wonderful woman leader who has been such an inspiration to millions of people throughout the globe. So personally, from personal experience, we can really appreciate the love, the service to God, and how she has equipped people and blessed people. And we know that in her life, it hasn't been plain sailing, but she has led by example and stuck with it and has been stickable, going with, her, with it the whole of her life. And I think it's such a fantastic thing and we can pay tribute to her life. And it's, I don't know about you, but it's like a funny sense of like, not like downness, but it's like, this is like a new reality now, isn't it? But there's one constant that doesn't change. And that is the love of Christ and the hand of God, which is available for us all. And we're very grateful that the Queen chose to follow Jesus in her life. And we, all of us, reap the benefit and reward of that. So we thank you, Lord, for her life. Okay, so let's get on with things, shall we? So we're in the middle of our eyewitness account series. So we're coming just the end of that. But today, we're looking at the life of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Now, I don't know about you, but do you sometimes need memory joggers to remember things, or is it only me? All right, you maybe you have a great memory. I need things like numbers and signs and symbols and your way of remembering people's names and things like that. Well, I've been very fortunate that my Sam and Beth, now my new daughter-in-law, got married recently. And do you know what date they got chosen to get married? 22 7 22. What a fantastic date that is. Look at that, look at the symmetry. You, how can you forget that date? You cannot forget that date. You will definitely have a card off us next year, Beth, okay? We won't forget that. And for me, I'm a little bit strange, be, you know, being like an engineer and having to learn to draw lines straight and get things perfectly down on paper. I kind of have this weird sense of, I like symmetry and I like numbers and all this kind of stuff. So bear with me. My poor family have to live with me, unfortunately. Now, from a young age, all of us sometimes develop heroes in our lives, don't we? We, we look at people who inspire us. And I, my hero as a child growing up, and I loved football, is Kenny Dalglish. Now, Kenny is still alive. I think he's in his 70s now. And he wore the number seven jersey when he played for Liverpool and for Scotland. What a great football. And why did I love Kenny Dalglish? Well, I loved Liverpool. I loved the fact that he had played usually with a smile on his face until someone annoyed him, of course. He would be a creative player. He'd set people up for goals, but he was a great goal scorer himself. And what I liked was he had a great engine. He'd be running all over the place and supporting and being strong to his teammates. So I love the number seven. I grew up watching Kenny Dalglish play with a number seven on his back. And for those who belong to the Liverpool footballing fraternity, they call Kenny King Kenny, okay? Now, I love this association. But of course, the number seven has a very strong biblical context text as well, because God created the world and rested on the seventh day. So I love this mixture of the fact that Kenny Dalglish was my inspiration as a youngster. And growing up, coming to learn about God and the creation of the world and the universe, and we've got a fantastic Lord who loves us and created us, 
that it is this link to the seventh day. So I like, like I said, I like numbers and symbolism and stuff like that. So there's this awe and wonder about God when we sit down and look at the stars in the night or we're walking along a stream or a river or we're looking in nature and we see the hand of God upon creation and he calls us as human beings the, the perfection of his creation, us humans, all right? And I love this whole kind of symbolism, but the reality of God's creation for our lives. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this this morning is because if you can remember the number 12, okay, that is going to be very significant in this talk today to help us remember the story of Jairus, in the, the synagogue leader, and what happens in this account, okay? For many of us, maybe number 12 holds um, a, a strong thing for us. Number 12 in the olden days was the substitute's jersey in a football team, okay? So if you were numbered 1 to 11, that means you were in the team. But if you were sitting in the changing rooms and the coach chucked you the number 12 jersey, Ben Brown, you know you're, you're in trouble, isn't it? Now, Ben would be number 9 because he's a striker. But the sinking feeling you would get as a, a sportsman to be thrown a substitute's T-shirt was like, it was devastating. In today's culture, there's a big squad, so everyone has their own different numbers and everyone's included in the team. But back in the olden days, when I was a child, if you're a number 12, you're a misfit, you were out of it, you weren't good enough and all this kind of thing, and you were brought on for the last three seconds of the game. I had to get used to that as a, as a little boy. But then I grew a little bit more, and then I managed to get in the team's full time then, so, so that was good. But yeah, so the 12 would be a substitute, etc., etc. But anyway, number 12 in the Bible, we know about the 12 disciples, the 12 tribes of Israel, and Jesus, as we know, the only account of when he was a child, he was 12 when he went walkabouts, if you remember, and he got lost for a few days. So, if you can remember anything today, this little 12 is going to work out for us. So, this morning's eyewitness account is based on this Jairus story, and there's two main talking points here. First of all, his daughter is unwell, but then she's raised to life again. And we read that she's 12 years old. And then there's like a miracle in the middle of the miracle story. Because Jesus heals a woman who'd been suffering for 12 years. So that's why, if we remember anything today, we know that, oh, the number 12, oh yeah, I remember the time when Jairus' daughter got raised to life by Jesus. Oh yeah, and I remember that woman, she was suffering with illness for 12 years, but then she got healed. So two amazing miracles. Okay, we find this account briefly in the Gospel of Matthew, but it's also in more detail in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark as well. And we're going to look at the reading this morning from Mark. So I'm going to read it through for us, and you can follow it along on screen. So here we go. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. And because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? 
But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So a strong story. We know in this series that we're looking at people's personal eyewitness accounts. And here, Jairus provides an interesting outlook into what Jesus was doing at the time and how he can change lives in a moment and in a flash. In the context of things, he was a synagogue leader, central to Jewish life. It was a place where people would go to worship. There's a congregation there. Jairus was the leader of that local synagogue, the elder in charge in Capernaum. So there was like public services that would take place. There would be the practical taking care of the facility there as well. His responsibilities would be organizing people to pray and to read scripture and to bring like a sermon or an encouragement. It was his job to kind of organize that. It was a place of learning for the community. He would be one of the lead elders of the synagogue, usually like a a wealthy man and a reputation, so like a key public citizen. So we kind of get an aspect and a a perspective from someone who was well-known at the time in that community. So that was like the public display and the public outlook of his life, his role and his responsibilities, just like all of us, we have different roles and responsibilities in life. But behind the scenes, Jairus is obviously a devoted dad, a husband, carrying out his duties while his daughter is sick, still reaching out and serving, a man who recognized that Jesus was doing something amazing. So Jairus, you know, he was part of this Jewish culture and tradition. But here, Jesus was at work bringing a message of grace and a message of the kingdom of God at hand. So now, Jairus is like, well, what am I going to do here? Jesus, I'm sure, can make a difference in my child's life. So this is a standout moment, really, to recognize that Jairus, his life is, you know, being stretched. His own personal faith is being stretched. What are the characteristics about him? Well, he probably would have been a practically-minded guy taking charge of the, of the facility and, the, and the, the building, the synagogue. He would have been administrative and organizing his organizing of the community and the, and the different serving that goes on. He would have been spiritually mature and a Lord bearer. But of course, he had this heartbreak at home. 
his child being unwell. There would be other challenges belonging to that group, that community in the synagogue. He would have potentially had links and ties with Pharisees. And we know, you know, the hardcore nature of the Pharisees and the, the law setters and those who would stick by law and would, dif- would have difficulty with relating to the grace of Christ. So this likely step of faith that Jairus brought by reaching out to Jesus would have been scrutinized and, and checked upon and challenged. And there would have been this pressure on his decision-making in the public arena. And Jairus chose faith in the most difficult and distressing of circumstances. Similar to us all, Jairus had these normal life things going on, the difficulties, the challenges, and still doing his job and his, his service in the community. But his Jesus encounter was to change everything. His Jesus encounter was to change everything. And for us today, the Jesus encounter in our life changes everything. The things that go on behind the scenes, the challenges, the difficulties, the discouragements, the times of fun and celebration, all these things come into perspective when we recognize that Jesus changes everything. So we're going to look at some of the story and hopefully glean some inspiration from the Jairus eyewitness account. So first of all, things looked hopeless, but Jairus took action by asking Jesus to perform a miracle. In these verses here, we look and consider how he fell at Jesus' feet and pleaded earnestly, my little daughter's dying. These verses paint a strong picture to fall at Jesus' feet, talks about humility, talks about respect, talks about worship, and also courage, because now he, Jairus didn't have this, he had to go past the security of tradition and religion, he, he had to get himself out of that, and, and plead before Jesus, Jesus, I need your help, only you can do this, please bless my daughter, healer, and you can sense this fear and desperation in him but that he had faith that Jesus can change the outcome. And you understand the vulnerability involved. My little daughter is dying. It's a parent's worst fear, for those of us who've been parents. That is your worst fear, that your child is unwell, or if you could just change it, or do something, or take their place. There is this vulnerability as a parent to want to bless your children, for them to know happiness and health in their lives. And Jairus approached Jesus and fell at his feet, And Jairus managed to overcome the potential constraints of his religions and his practices and the pressures from what others would think about trusting Jesus for the future. And that is a challenge for all of us, that we can overcome our situations, that we can know Jesus' hand at work, that he can change things and do things in a moment and immediately, like we read here, but also some things take time to outwork And sometimes we have to stand our ground in a difficult circumstances and what other people might think about our faith. But we know that standing our ground and walking our life in faith is a key element, just as our wonderful queen for 70 years, 70 years, walked in faith in Jesus, asking for his help every step of the way. And there's this act of trust in Jesus could have jeopardized everything for Jairus but he nailed his colors to the mast. He displayed his belief that Jesus can change things, and he wanted to hold on to that. Now, this whole thing about nailing your colors to 
the mast is something like a nautical term from the 17th century, a tradition. And what would happen is in the battles at sea, the ships would raise their colors or their flag of who they belonged to, what nation or whatever. And as a way, if they were in a place where they needed to submit to the, the enemy, the opposition, they would lower their flags, they would lower their masts so, so they know that the enemy, you know, they were submitting to the enemy. But what would be a custom then and part of the warfare is they would try and, you know, the enemy would try and blow away the mast of the, of the opposing ship to knock the flag down to make it unmovable so you couldn't, you know, put the, put the sails up and everything else. So then when they become disabled, the, 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 the captain had no choice but to surrender. But if a captain didn't want to surrender to the enemy, and if the captain wanted to fight on, he wanted to nail his colors to the mast, the rem remnant of the ship's rigging. He would nail the colors, so he'd get some poor dab <laughs> to go up to what's left of what's just been blown away and nail the flag to the mast to say, I'm still in this fight. We're still going for what we stand for. We're not submitting to you, the enemy. And here, Jairus was nailing his colors to the mast. He was saying no to religion and tradition, and where there was lack of belief and faith and trust in Jesus, and he'd come to a place of, I have to, I have to go to Jesus in this situation for my life. And he was nailing his colors to the mast. And for each of us, I'm sure we've had to go somewhere in our lives to nail our faith to the mass, where perhaps peers, friends, family, workmates, sportsmates wouldn't necessarily go for what we are going for. And it is a time of stepping out in faith in Jesus. So it was courage and brave of him. It was for the sake of his daughter, not knowing the outcome, but journeying in faith. And we too can approach Jesus with our prayers, with our vulnerabilities being assured of his care. It's always better, I believe, to pursue faith in Christ in the tough times as well as the good times. Because in a lifetime, there will be crisis points. There will be a time of worry for us. There will be a time of grief for us. There will be a time of relational failings in our lives. There will be times of big mistakes. There will be times of challenging consequences. But you know what? Those are the times where the sensitivity of God, of the Holy Spirit, can work in our hearts. Because we've got nowhere else to go. Who else is going to fix this or help us or give us peace or hope in this situation? But the love of Christ does. He opens the door of our hearts. And when those trialing times come, those are the times which we are vulnerable and we are human and we are breaking and we feel hopeless and there's trouble and there is strife. And who is going to help us in this situation? Who is going to sustain us? Who is going to give me hope tomorrow? Who is going to give me a future? Is everything going to be all right? But the love of Christ helps us. He brings a peace he gives us a perspective that there is hope that after 12 years of struggle and strife for this woman who was struggling, there was an immediate healing for her. And this is a great encouragement. But we know that God is our refuge and strength. And when those seasons of strife and difficulty come along, there will be a new day, there will be a new tomorrow. 
And as those challenging things happen on our lives, those are the times where the Holy Spirit will deposit the hope and that eternal promise of knowing him, that we have a hope and a future in the name of Jesus. The unchanging love of Christ remains constant. Do not fear is a constant message from God. You read throughout the New Testament, do not fear, do not fear. Do not be anxious about everything. Trust in God. So in the middle of the journey, wherever we are at this morning, trust Jesus. Give it to him. Be sustained by the love of God this morning. And I'm sure we all can kind of agree and recognize that, that we just need Jesus' touch so much in our lives. The next part of the account is very powerful. In the middle of the urgency, another life is radically changed. We read that a large crowd has fallen and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. The things that stood out to me, she'd suffered a great deal. She'd spent all she had. She wasn't getting better. She was getting worse. Come on, you spend all your money on health care, and you won't get fixed by the doctors, but things are just getting worse. And thank goodness we have such brilliant doctors and medical profession in this country that we live in, in technology, love, care, those serving, you know, so much so, you know, it's a lifetime of service and care for those in the NHS and those supporting jobs and roles and functions as well. We're very grateful to God for those people. And here in this day and in this culture, She'd run out of hope. There was no one who was going to fix her. And in contrast to Jairus' story, here we find an anonymous woman, not named, but miraculously healed. Not named in this account, but of course God knows her name. God knows her heart. God made her, formed her, shaped her. God knew her weaknesses and her difficulties and her challenges. She'd been unwell for 12 years, suffered a great deal, spent all she had, getting worse, not better, needed a Jesus miracle. And the challenge to her wasn't just physical, it was spiritual, as her condition would have meant her exclusion from the religious life, the ceremony and the services, because she would have been deemed unclean because of the nature of her illness. So you imagine, she's alone, she spent all she had, she can't join in the religious services. She doesn't have the community and the care around her. She would have felt excluded. She would have been desperate and discouraged and down. And here, of all times and places, her healing takes place in the midst of a crowd. And Jairus is witnessing this, even in his own crisis moment. Religion, faith. And that barrier being broken down. The synagogue leader, seeing the hand of Jesus, reach out to an unclean woman and tell her all will be well. She has grabbed the edge of his cloak in secrecy, just wanted to touch the, the hem of his cloak. Although there's crowds there, she just wanted to get away with it. Like, you know, I want to be better. I want to get well. And Jesus knew that something had happened, that power had left him. And the change had taken place. Her life was being transformed in that very moment. Jairus' daughter is 12 years old, been part of a loving family and community, but her health failing. This woman had suffered for those 12, same 12 years, 
and being excluded and away from the community and all hope is gone. But here we see the two stories being brought together in this one account of the synagogue leader, Jairus, seeing the hand of Jesus reaching out and changing lives in both these different walks of life. Regardless of social standing, gender, history, the very same Jesus reaches into the hearts of men and women, boys and girls of all walks of life. We celebrate the life of the queen, the monarch of the UK. And everyone knows the queen. And she has served willingly and blessed people. And the same thing, the anonymous person, the person we don't know, the person living on the street in need of something different. The very same Jesus reaches into the heart of all people and changes lives and brings a hope for the future. So both lives were poles apart, but the fact is that the love of Christ is the leveler. Human need is similar in us all. We all need love. We all need acceptance. We all need a purpose to live. We all need sustenance and shelter and security. We all want to belong to a community. A fun community would be even better. We all want to know security and health and well-being in our lives. This is like basic human need. And when those things are denied or not achievable, they eventually take their toll. They take their toll on our physical health, our mental health, and just our life in general. It takes a toll when these things aren't being fulfilled in our experience of life. And for the woman, good health, acceptance in community, spiritual nourishing were not available to her. And I'm sure over the course of 12 years, this would have been very draining. But faith in Jesus, reaching out to Jesus, was to bring the change. She would have now been able to be part of the community, know the fullness of a loving community, and Jesus was changing things about that. For each of us, it is good to be part of community. For each of us, I'm sure we've been belong to interest groups or different sports classes or sports groups where we live. In our home places, we belong to different communities, and I know communities can differ no matter where, the, where, we, where we are in that geography. For myself, I've been part of a Pemberton community in Llanelli. I've been part of a Lachar community, and then Penplas up by Penlan, and then Pentlager, and now Lachar again, and then back to Pentlager again at the end of this month, hopefully. But we all of us belong to a local community as well. Maybe we're in a season of life where we belong to the school community, where it's back and forth to the school with our children. But this anonymous woman didn't have this community, or she would have felt on the margins of it. But things are about to change for her. And for us, we look to, as best as we can, as a church community here, recognizing the love of God, the love of Jesus. He calls us into relationship with him. It is very important to have that seen and witnessed and experienced through our church community as well. Now, Matthew, this morning, you give us seven announcements, Matthew. Was that planned? Was that King Kenny, number seven? That was brilliant. Well done. But anyway, in that, we, we're talking about, you know, a men's night, a men's weekend, you know, football. 
the girls going out together. We try to form opportunities for us to belong in community, to, to be with one another. It's not necessarily about the actual event itself. It's more about, I belong to community. These are my friends. These are not only my friends, but these people, these my friends, my family, love Jesus. They've been changed by Jesus, and I experience his love through my friends. And I belong to a small group. And whenever I'm with my friends in my small group, and I have been for the last 25 years, I always experience love, fun, enjoyment, and it's wonderful. And I've had the benefit of knowing many friends over the years. And some people, you know, are in a journey passing through from here to there. But for many people who are sitting here today, and, and I'm sure watching online as well, have been, we've been part of the same small group. And it has been a wonderful privilege to be part of our friendship together. And this is something that we can look for Jesus to change in our lives, that we recognize the heart of community, and we belong to his community. And that is so important to take for ourselves. So as we follow Jesus each day in faith, may the fruit of his work in our lives help us to invest our lives into his community, to know his freedom, his love, and acceptance. And this was changing for this woman who would experience this healing situation because her future was about to change. And the final point I wanted to look at from this account of Jairus, the synagogue leader, is the reality of Jesus' intimate love for us as individuals. Now, it's been my life's experience that I've had a privilege and a joy to raise a daughter. And I, a very fortunate man, my lovely daughter Naomi, sitting on the front row here. Okay, now, Naomi is a wonderful daughter. She's the best daughter I have, right? <laughs> She's the only daughter I have, naturally. But I think along the lines, I have some spiritual daughters maybe out there, who knows? Okay? But what I want to say, there's something special and loving when there's a healthy father-daughter bond. And Naomi here, we have a lovely father-daughter bond. But there's something that happens in this account where we see two, like, daughter and father bonds taking place. And it is wonderful. And it's a very vulnerable place to be. Now, my Naomi goes off to uni next week. Boo-hoo. I may need some extra emotional support next week. If you see me walking around crying and all that, you know what's happened, okay? It's because my daughter's left me, okay? <laughs> I'll be back for four years or whatever it is. Only coming back for money, I bet. Anyway, no, I'm only joking. She doesn't. She's very independent. Well done, Yomi. But, um, but there is this reality of a father's love and, you know, this bond with a daughter. And this eyewitness account in this part of the series, we see two miracles, two time lapses of 12 years and two daughters. We witness the intimacy and love of the Lord Jesus right here. The two bits, okay? The anonymous woman. This is the only time we read Jesus addressing someone as daughter in the New Testament there. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, we read the words but if you really try and understand what is going on here, for Jesus to be communicating to a woman in a crowd and calling her daughter in front of everyone and saying, you have faith, 
and your faith that healed you through that faith. Go in peace. Go and live your life in peace and be freed from suffering. That is very, very powerful. The second bit, Jairus' daughter. We read that Jesus takes her by the hand and says to her, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stands up and begins to walk around. You read into the intensity and intimacy of the love of Christ, reaching out to daughters. It's wonderful that the Lord brings this intimate love. And of course, it's not just for daughters, it's for sons as well. Guys, don't feel left out. We have a loving father. And for each of us, we would have a different experience of our natural fathers and mothers. But God always wants to shed upon us his love, his perfect love, his peace. And this morning, he calls us daughters, and he calls us sons. And he wants the best for our lives. So being a son and a daughter to the Lord is a key truth for us to grasp and identify with in life. It's about relationship. For this woman to know acceptance and inclusion and belonging was a life changer. For the little girl to be brought from being unwell to dying and Jesus calling her back and giving her life was going to be the benefit to her family and to her community. And we have to say well done to Jairus for sticking with his faith, for pressing in and away from the religious tradition, but not mocking it, but stepping into faith in Jesus. And he has this new start with his daughter. I'm sure he went on to live his life honoring Jesus, to making a difference in his community. And maybe I'd like to think that this woman who was healed became a friend and a close contact of Joyous, who knows? But Jesus is a life changer. So this morning, I'm going to close on that note that Jesus calls us close to him. We've experienced two huge miracles here. And it's made a huge difference in so many lives. But if you can leave this morning knowing that we're loved children of God this morning, and that in the trials and tribulations of life, don't give up hope. Know that Jesus is with us. Changes can, can come. Some things are changed immediately and some things take time. But in the journey of life, Christ is loving us and with us and for us. And there's this one last thing that I read this week, which was interesting, talking about the queen and how now there's a king and the new coins will come out and the new stamps will come out. The direction of the face changes. I never knew about this. It's a tradition that's been around for a few centuries. So apparently, Charles will be looking the other way. Right? But... What is interesting is when something significant happens,
and Jesus changes our lives like a new direction for us. We honor what Jesus has done in our lives, maybe in that miracle or in that change. The Bible talks about when we come to faith in Jesus, we're a new creation. There's a new direction for us to look into. That we come out of perhaps a religious understanding of who Jesus is, but we come into the relational side and love of Christ in our lives. And our life takes a new direction. We're pursuing what Jesus has for us in our lives now. It's not the same old anymore. It's the fact that Jesus is at work in our lives and how our decisions are now based around his grace, his love, his forgiveness, and his direction for our lives. So when we close our eyes, and I'll pray to close and hand back to Math. Yes, yeah, so we thank you um, for this encouraging account of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and how you changed and transformed his life, Lord. That you brought his daughter back, and you healed that woman who had struggled so much, Lord, and you made the change in their lives, Lord, that they came to a faith in you and trust in you. And this morning, Lord, we are the same. We are human beings in need for your touch, Lord, for our todays and our tomorrows as well. And we're grateful to you, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.